Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. We did it. We made it. The 2023 regular season is in the books. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today, and welcome to the postseason. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we'll take a look back at how we did in all of our leagues. I actually took the time, counted all my leagues up. I played in 20 leagues this year. That that sounds like a lot. Maybe I need to cut it down a little Ooh, bit for next year. 20 that you actually had to manage or were some of them best ball? You're not even counting the best ball with 20? One of them was best ball. Oh. 19 of them I had to set lineups for, and probably about half of those I had to do fab for, so... It all kind of when, well. When you say fab, down. you mean waivers of yep. any sort. Yep. So, so half of those, half of the nineteen, just didn't even have waivers that ran. No, those are draft and hold formats over at the NFBC, okay. where you just have right. to set your lineup all year. But sure. So, you know. so half of them were fairly low maintenance. You're saying. Yep. Yep. And Still that's a lot. That's how I like it. <laughs> well, <laughs> as little maintenance as possible. But we'll talk all about that. We'll reveal the 2023 league leaders. We'll take a look at each of the uh, major statistical categories. We'll take a look at some season-long trends and how they compare to years past. And we'll wrap up, have some fun, make some playoff predictions here. I am the only person on this podcast where their favorite team did not make the playoffs. <laughs> how about that? The Braves, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks. They all made the playoffs, the Yankees. They did not. Look at us, Scott. We're recording before midnight. This is weird. How's everything going, man? Fine. I hope I'm hoping my voice holds up for the entire podcast. I was, you know, I was starting to lose it last week and it got pretty bad over the weekend. It's a little better today, but maybe not after an hour of talking. We'll see. We'll see, but hopefully I might have to hit that mute button a little more. And you'll say, Scott, you're muted. <laughs> so we'll get to just as a little preview of what you're in for here over the next hour or so. Well, I do. That should be fun. I do appreciate that you saved your illness for after the season, Scott. Yeah, well, once good. we were done I, with five podcasts per week, you know, I, now we're down to two. I think it's a little bit more manageable. I, so. I, I stockpiled <laughs> vacation days and I stockpiled illness. So I'm ready to put it all out here in the fall. 
All right, well, let's just jump in and talk about how we did in our league, Scott. Congrats to you on sweeping both of our podcast league. That's a 12-to-head, head-to-head points league and a 16-team head-to-head categories league. Uh, how'd you do in all of your leagues combined, I guess? Well, Frank, I pulled off the first ever podcast league sweep. Break out the brooms. Yes, I'm in the 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 podcast listeners league, podcast for the people league, winners club, a club of one, won them both in the same year, and uh, I was I I think it was really uh, the, the podcast for the people league, which is the 16 team head to head categories league. Remember, I entered the second week of the championship game down three to seven. I I'd won only three categories, lost seven in the first week. But the second week, I went 9-0-1. So pulled it out. Didn't let him win a single category. Um, we tied in safe slash holds, interestingly. It was, it was a funny situation where um, we were kind of playing a game of chicken as all the games. Remember, there weren't many games on Monday, so there, was, there were very few lineups spots that locked early and then a lot more locked on Tuesday. We were kind of watching what the other was doing in terms of how many starting pitchers he was starting, how many relief pitchers he started. Other guy ended up starting zero relief pitchers in the end. Mm. So I just went with one, Jose Alvarado. Turned out to be the wrong one. There were no saves and holds for either of us all week, but that was the lone tie. So 9-0-1, I end up winning between the two weeks, 12 to, uh, what, 12 to 10 and one tie. So yeah. Yeah, that was good. The, those were my only two championships. So I I came out looking great among the podcast listeners who participated, but maybe not so much everywhere else. Of course, that means I won zero Roto Leagues this year. I came the closest in the league-specific formats, which have been, I've been pretty consistently good at those in recent years. I think I've got a good system down for those very... Uh, those ones where you go very deep in the player pool and the waiver wire is almost non-existent. But uh, ultimately, I finished either second or third in both the AL and the NL only Roto Leagues. And um, and yeah, that's that was my best showing apart from the two podcast league victories. I, you know, I made the playoffs in a few more head-to-head leagues, but didn't come out ahead. I only had... How many was it? 11 traditional fantasy leagues, two more score sheet leagues, so 13 leagues that I was managing in some form or fashion. And got two wins out of it, which is pretty normal. I would say average year, I win two to four leagues. But I've mentioned a few times uh, in, in recent weeks that I've been frustrated with the way I've performed overall in Roto Leagues really since the beginning of 2021, so the last three years. And, um, you know, not that I won every time before then, but uh, I'm finishing much lower in the standings than I used to. I used to consistently be top half of the league at least, and I've had a lot more finishes in the bottom half of the league and sometimes even as the bottom team or two. So um, that's what I'm looking to improve next year. Yeah, and I think that will be part of the conversation we can have on tomorrow's podcast about things we got right, things we got wrong, lessons learned from this past season, because I've had a tough time in the Roto Leagues as well. So I think something needs to change with the process this offseason. And who knows, maybe we can help each other out, Scott, and try and figure out what's going wrong with that process. Um, By the way, this is the second time in three years that you've won the For the People League, the 16-team head-to-head categories league. Uh, So you've had... 
very strong showing since I've joined the podcast. Uh-huh. I just want to point that out, Scott, that well, it might be you because know what of changed. me. You know what changed when you joined the podcast? Prior to then, I had to share a team with Adam Azer. And oh, that, that might do it. That might do it. <laughs> Maybe he was dragging me down. I don't know. Uh, yep. But no, I, I used to always joke that that was the league he, he set up with these oddball rules that, you know, just seemed like a massive troll job on me, Heath Cummings, of course, who used to be on the podcast and is now still on the Fantasy Football Today podcast. So I really, I need to, I need to show Heath. I've, I've made progress when in two of the last three years in that that jerky league of his shout out to those who made it to the finals against you by the way in those uh, podcast listener leagues Kyle in the points league and Chris and his son Aubrey I thought that was pretty awesome they were kind of playing together as a father son tandem they made it to the finals in the for the people league and that's the league where they were kind of uh, you know playing a little chess a little lineup Mm -hmm. chicken with you Scott so uh, fun job good job by uh, those two making it to the finals there against you. As I mentioned, I played in 20 leagues total this year, Scott, which ranged from all different types of formats. I played four head-to-head points leagues, one of those being the head-to-head, I mean, the Scott White Dynasty League, which is a 24-team league, one head-to-head categories, 13 roto leagues, one best ball, and one score sheet. This is the first year that I've ever played score sheet, sharing a team with Nando Defino, and how did I know this would happen? Nando invited me on. He's like, yeah, we'll work together. And I'm pretty much just, I've set the lineup for the past like three months or whatever, but we made the playoffs. So I'm excited to see what happens. First year playing score sheet. That was pretty cool. Um, Made the playoffs in all of my head to head leagues, including the championship and tout wars, which, you know, if everyone's kind of up to date, paying attention, I was going for that three Pete and I lost Scott. I lost to Greg Jewett. Congrats to him. Really great fantasy player. Uh, Well-deserved for him. Carlos Ordon. How about this? You saw that stat line on Friday, Scott. I know you did. Minus 21 fantasy points. What the heck was that all about? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I just nodded all over the microphone. I'm just <laughs> going to say, in case anybody's watching the video and wondering what happened. Okay. Um, yeah. No, that's uh, crazy streaming of starting pitchers like that. It'll come back to bite you yep. when you least need it. And that and it- seems to be what happened. I mean, it you know, you kind of did that the previous two years, right? In the championship and it worked out. Yeah, I mean, I had better pitching in years past, but, you know, people are probably asking, why the heck were you even starting Carlos Rodon? The truth was, I kind of messed myself up because I didn't leave enough uh, fab for the final waiver run and I couldn't pick anyone up. I only had like three moves to make and I had two other pitchers who were shut down for the year. I needed a catcher, so I couldn't drop like my Andrew Abbott's and Carlos Rodon's. I wish I could have, but... You know, I guess that's uh, another lesson learned. Leave, your, leave yourself a little bit more fab for uh, later on in the season. 12 of the 20 leagues that I play in, Scott, were over on the NFBC. That's the National Fantasy Baseball Championship. For those who listen or watch, you've probably heard us reference the NFBC at some point in the past. They offer anywhere from low to very high stakes leagues. We're talking like a $50 entry fee and at the high end, like $10,000 entry fees. Uh, but I did win two of my 15-team Roto leagues over there. I came home with a decent, you know, return, so I can't complain, you know, monetarily. But, you know, again, it's I, I wish I was a little bit more consistent across the board. One of those wins, by the way, I finished 25th out of 4,845 teams in their overall contest in the draft champions. So... That was pretty awesome. That was by far the best team that I drafted. I had Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Francisco Lindor, Jorge Soler, Ellie Taylor Cruz, 
And this is a 50-round draft that we did back in, I don't know, March. And I still had Ellie De La Cruz, so I was just kind of like stashing him back then. Blake Snell, Merrill Kelly, Brian Bayo. So that was far and away my, uh, my best team there. Again, fun season, Scott. Overall, I'm disappointed in my performance. Hold myself to a very high standard, and I'd like to win more than two out of 20 leagues. So just full transparency. I know some people ask, do you guys ever win in your leagues? Yeah, but... At least for me, not as much as I wanted to uh, this past season. Uh, shout out to everyone else who won their fantasy baseball championships. Love seeing all the screenshots and the interaction and the appreciation on uh, Twitter. Continue to send those over. And also feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. You can leave a five-star review on Apple and let us know if we helped you win. Uh, as I've mentioned many times, the bosses like that kind of stuff, so we would appreciate it. Scott, let's jump into the league leaders here, and we'll just kind of run through Run down the line. If you have any thoughts, I have uh, kind of interesting stats about how many players did certain things and compared to years past. We'll start with batting average. Luis Arise, 354 batting average. He won the National League batting title. The first player to win back-to-back -back batting titles in different leagues. So that's a pretty awesome stat for him. Uh, Yandy Diaz with a 330 batting average. He won the uh, American League batting title just ahead of our guy, Corey Seager. And this past season, nine qualified hitters over a 300 batting average. Last year, we had 11. That seems kind of curious to me, Scott. The fact that batting average across the league went up this year. Babbitt went up with the shift restrictions. Yet we only had nine batters over 300. And last year, we had 11. Isn't that kind of weird? Seems kind of weird. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. That's kind of weird. Not sure I have an explanation for it. Seems like maybe just a fluky thing because home runs were up from last year too, which would also help batting average quite a bit because you don't even have to rely on Babbitt for those to be hits. Obviously, they're hit out of play. Let me see. What did the final Babbitt end up being? I, uh, I'm not going to be able to find that quickly, I don't think. I have it for later on, but I think it wound up at 297. Uh -huh. Yeah, 297. Okay, and that's compared to... 290 last year and 292 yeah. in 2021. Yeah, that's a big jump. That's like yeah, seven, seven points. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's curious that there weren't more 300 hitters. I, I guess Unless there were because you were just looking at qualifying batters, right? Unless there were yeah. fewer qualifying batters overall. But I imagine it'd be pretty similar. Perhaps. I wonder if I lower the thresholds. Maybe, maybe we just had more hitters kind of up in the middle of the 260s. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe we had more guys hitting 260 and 270 than we have had in years past, which again, overall that would help for fantasy and it does help the overall batting average. But you know, I looked at 280 as well. We had 23 hitters, qualified hitters that bat, uh, hit 280 or higher this year. There were 30 that did it last year. So again, that's kind of weird. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to like lower the thresholds and see maybe again, we just had more in like the 260 or 270 range this past season. The home run leader, my man, Scott, your man, Matt Olson. He came through. He won me that bet. 54 home runs this past season. Kyle Schwarber was second in the league with 47. Pete Alonso had 46. So, obviously, the National League had a great showing here. Shohei Otani led the American League with 44 home runs, despite playing just 135 games and being shut down in the middle of September. So, come on. Let's do better, American League, I guess. If Aaron Judge didn't get hurt, he obviously would have been up there too. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing that he finished with 37, you know, for as much time as he missed. 
Uh, he had 44, Scott. 44 home runs. No, I'm talking about Aaron Judge. Oh, Aaron Judge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought you were talking about um, Otani. So Judge in the American League was behind only Otani, Adolis Garcia, who hit 39, and Luis Robert, who hit 38. Judge was fourth in the American League in home runs. And how many games did he get to? He got to 106. <laughs> that's that's pretty darn so, impressive. Yeah, a little little more than two-thirds of the season. Mm. All right, well, uh, a quick... Uh, I have some other notes on home runs, but we do have a special guest, Scott. Something I didn't I didn't let you know was happening. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Uh-oh, are ready. you ready? He I'm is, ready. and here we go. Chris Towers, let's go! <laughs> All right, that's that's enough of that. I let that go on for too long. I'm sorry. Chris is here to celebrate the Marlins making the postseason and help us, you know, take a look back at the 23 23 season overall. Chris, congrats, man. You are decked out. You got the Florida Marlins hat, you got the old school jersey, yeah. everything. Let's go. Got got everything but the new gear. Because I don't actually have any of the new gear except for the the cool city connect. But yeah, nobody wants the new gear. Marlins made honest. the playoffs, guys. What yeah. what a time to be alive! Who would who would have thought? Not me. That's for sure. I didn't see this coming. But it's been what what a fun season for all of our teams, really. Everybody oh. had a great season on this podcast. Every single one of us, huh, Chris? And nobody's <laughs> team was a total disappointment that caused them months and months of agony. Oh, I mean, agony. Come on, Chris. You know I'm the most pessimistic Yankee fan possible, so it didn't really surprise me, I guess. But I did lead the podcast by pointing out every other person's favorite team on this podcast made the playoffs. Even the Welsh and the Diamondbacks, too. So. I mean, the, the Braves, like, yeah, okay, they made the playoffs. That's We, we saw that coming. But Diamondbacks and Marlins, what what a time to be alive. It's awesome stuff. I love it. There's more, a little more, more parody in baseball and obviously the extended uh, postseason playoff picture. You know, we've got teams that are fighting till the end uh, and it gives a little bit more opportunity. So I'm all about it. If I I'm, love it. If, if I'm looking at this right, then the Marlins and Diamondbacks are the only two playoff teams with a negative run differential for the year. I think the Marlins have the worst run differential for a playoff team ever. <laughs> so the Diamondbacks are minus 15. The Marlins are minus 57. <laughs> and that, that was even after they, they, they trounced the Braves in that three-game series in mid-September. You'd think that would they'd, they'd make up more ground in the run difference. Well, I, I think they they lost a game to like the Mets eleven to one immediately after that. So kind of kind of lost some ground there. Yeah, yeah. What what a dumb year! What a <laughs> dumb year! The Marlins end up with the seventh best record in one-run games in Major League history. Wow, thirty-three and thirteen. You can do the math on what that means for the games that weren't basically fluke wins. Uh, team of destiny, baby. I, for one, will be thrilled if we have a World Series winner who won 84 games. I'm, I mean, you know me. I'm always, almost always rooting for the funniest possible outcome. <laughs> and the Marlins and winning a World Series this year would be objectively the funniest possible yeah. outcome. <laughs> And the fact that I'm rooting for them already has right. nothing to do with my thoughts on this. 
Well, we've got two bites at the apple with uh, the D-backs winning exactly 84 games as well. So either either of those make it deep into the postseason. We can have some fun with that. Chris, are you sticking around? You want to hang out and talk a little baseball? Or? I, I would love spot, to. Man. I would love to. I really would. And I'm going to make some appearances this offseason earlier than I normally do. But unfortunately, I... I do have a guest staying in my home who needs the guest bedroom, so I'm, I'm going to bow out semi-gracefully. All right. Well, look, congrats to your Miami Marlins. Can you give us a World Series prediction before you leave? Marlins over uh, who? Uh, Marlins Blue Jays. Why not? Uh, yeah. I. You want my actual prediction? Yes. Sure. I think the Braves are far and away the best team in baseball. So I'm always going to pick the team that I think is the best team. And so that's the Braves. Although, you know, they got some rotation questions of their own. The Dodgers have some rotation questions. They're, you know, asking a clearly less than 100% Clayton Kershaw to try to go deep into games. They've got a, yeah, it's kind of, there's no like obvious favorite right now. So I'll go with the Braves, even with their uh, rotation questions. And, and I'll just go with the chalk and, and say the Orioles. I don't really fully believe in their pitching staff, but as people who listen to this podcast know, didn't li- believe in their pitching staff in like May and June, and they just kind of kept doing it. So for the most part, whose pitching staff do you believe in? Cause you just mentioned how you don't believe in the pitching for the three best teams record wise. I mean, the Twins, Twins have legitimately very good pitching. It's just their offense isn't very good, which was not what we thought was going to happen coming into the season, uh, you know, especially with with now their injuries. Is Royce Lewis going to be back for the playoffs? It sounds like, yes, he's going to play okay. in game one. Okay, that's that's that helps. Um, but yeah, it's it's a fun field for the playoffs because there's no obvious favorite because every team is kind of flawed. There doesn't seem like, you know, one of those Astros teams where it's just like, Oh, this team's going to run everyone over. Uh, Brewers just lost Brandon Woodruff. Like there are a lot, a lot of question marks across the board with this, with this playoff field, which, Hey, as the guy rooting for the 84 win minus 57 run differential team, Let's go. Hey, anything can happen, man. You get hot at the right time. You never know. Look, the the Phillies made it last year as a wild card team. So I think true. anything can happen, man. We'll see. Marlins have won two World Series as a wild card. <laughs> we shall Just see. Just saying, history, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. <laughs> awesome stuff there, Chris. We appreciate you hopping in, buddy. All right, I'll see you guys. See you later, man. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, so Chris Towers must have something against this podcast because the last that you saw if you were watching part one of this live stream was that Chris came on to hype up the Miami Marlins, excited for their postseason run. And then what happens when he's leaving StreamYard? He clicks end stream instead of just leaving the studio. So for those who saw the uh, the night that Shohei Otani went down with injury, we had Chris come on and 
We had some breaking news. The same thing happened, and he just did that again. I don't know what's going on here, Scott, but there's like a 3% chance that Chris actually hates me. Yeah, or he hates the podcast. <laughs> he, he goes and leaves, what, in mid-August, never to return. He's And then he comes back finally, and he just wants to cancel the whole thing. So <laughs> thanks a lot for that, Chris. Thanks a lot. So uh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet if this is going to be two parts on YouTube or maybe I'm going to stitch them together. If you're listening on the audio side, then you have no idea what happened. And probably everything sounds perfectly fine to you. The last that we left off, Scott, we were talking about league leaders and we talked about the home runs leader, which was Matt Olson. And I wanted to mention, uh, as you pointed out, there were more home runs this season. So in 2023, six players with 40 plus home runs, including Marcelo Zuna. What a year for that guy. Awesome bounce back. Uh, 29 players with 30-plus home runs. Bobby Witt was one of them. He just missed out on 30-50. 49 steals for Bobby Witt. Uh, He got thrown out twice in the final weekend, too. He uh, would have been the the fourth player to have a 30-homer, 50-steal season ever. And uh, we could have made reference to that all offseason, and draft prep season, and now we can't. It's very disappointing. That's right. Uh, But last year, comparatively, we had four players with 40-plus home runs compared to six this past season, 23 with 30-plus home runs compared to uh, 29 who did it just this past season, Scott. So uh, there are more home runs available, but guess what that means? You also need more home runs to compete in your fantasy baseball leagues. So, Wait, give those stats again this year versus last season. Six with 40-plus, 29 with 30-plus this year. Last year? Four with forty plus, twenty three okay. with thirty plus. Okay, so it was it was fewer last year, which makes sense. I was hearing it backwards, I guess. Okay, yeah, and and Ozuna, uh, so he had the final day of the season. A lot of the brave starters were pulled early in the game. Ozuna had a two homer, four RBI game to get to exactly forty homers and exactly one hundred RBI. It was beautiful. Unexpected, certainly, for a guy who, gosh, as late as midseason, he was still available in like a third of all leagues, something like that. Mm -hmm. I think I saw today that by the end of April, he was batting under 100 or somewhere around there. No, definitely. I remember that. It was, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad there for... Marcelo Zuna, yeah, he was betting .085 by the end of April yeah. and then obviously went on a an awesome tear after that. The Braves, by the way, the third team in Major League history to have three hitters with 40-plus home runs and 100-plus RBI on the same team. Matt Olson, Marcelo Zuna, Ronald Acuna. Speaking of Acuna... So, so just from May 1st on, Marcelo Zuna hit 297. 274 overall, but 297 if you eliminate that first month, which tells you how much... Uh, Hitting 085 for a month can bring down your full season line almost, what, 25 points? Yeah. League winner. There's no other way to say it. And you know what's crazy? He was actually dropped in my NL only labor league. And I I had the same dollar bid in for him as I did, oh man, the D-backs outfielder that got called up that was okay for like two weeks. He replaced Jake McCarthy. Dominic Canzone. No, not that guy. Mm. There was another one. Oh, Dominic Fletcher. Another Dominic. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I would have got Ozuna, but I wound up getting Fletcher instead of Ozuna. So 
Great. Good job by me. Uh, runs scored. The leader, Ronald Acuna, had 149 runs and 159 games. Just ridiculous stuff. Freddie Freeman was second at 131. Matt Olson was third at 127. Mookie Betts was fourth at 126. That's right. Braves, Dodgers, Braves, Dodgers. Those were the- I mean, That's pretty much the MVP race right there. Not that as much yeah. of a race, I feel like, at this point. Um, I, I noticed this today because I was putting together an article I write every year, things you miss once fantasy football season started, which mostly just focuses on September. Mookie Betts had a pretty awful September. Uh, he hit uh, 244 with just one home run mm. in September, which is part of the reason why I think the MVP talk died down with him. Because uh, remember, basically at, at the start of the month, I was saying, I don't know if I was voting today, I think I'd give it to Betts over Acuna. And Betts did, did still finish with the highest war, baseball reference version but it's close enough that I don't think it's going to matter I think Acuna is going to cruise to that yeah I would say so as well this past season we had 17 hitters with 100 plus runs scored including Gunnar Henderson that was actually pretty surprising to me he had also 28 home runs so I look Corbin Carroll was obviously far and and away the best rookie this season but, you know, Gunnar Henderson, he also had himself a fine year as well. Last year, we had 10 with 100-plus runs scored. So 10 compared to 17 this past season, which makes sense with uh, overall offense being up around in the game of baseball this year. RBI leader, no surprise, Matt Olson. He had 139. Pete Alonzo was the next closest with 118. And similarly to run scored, uh, this year we had 18 with 100-plus RBI. Last year, 13 with 100-plus RBI, which again makes sense. Stolen bases, Ronald Acuna. Once again, 73 steals. Esteri Ruiz, much closer than I thought. He wound up with 67, so six behind Ronald Acuna. And then third was Corbin Carroll with 54 steals. Scott, I don't know if you remember this, but before the season, we had some bold predictions. One of my bold predictions, three players would steal 50 bases this year, including Esteri Ruiz, Corbin Carroll and Trey Turner. So I was off by one player there. Oh, that's pretty good. I mean, for a bold prediction. Yeah. That's I I know it's not technically a win, but it might as well be. And one of your bold predictions was that multiple players would steal 50 and one would steal 60. So do you want better? It. How about 70s, Scott? <laughs> yeah, undershot it. And I I, I kind of feel like I actually said. It might actually be 70, but I could be remembering wrong. Yeah, it wouldn't uh, surprise you, me. You're about to give more season-long stolen base stats, or oh, should I? I've got a bunch, Scott. Here we go. Okay, go for it. This past season, we had 18 players with 30-plus steals, 51 with 20 or more steals. Last year, six with 30 or more, so one-third of what we had this year, and 24 with 20 or more steals, less than half of what we saw this yeah. past season. Yeah, I think uh, I think we were all over that. Huge increase, completely landscape-altering. Fantasy baseball changed forevermore. And I kind of wonder if it could get even better next year. Like, I didn't see a ton of balks because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the two, you're only able to attempt two pickoffs per 
plate appearance. I didn't see a ton of balks. Balks would result if you try a third time. If you throw them out, fine. But if not, then it's a balk. So I think everybody played it a little cautiously. And I didn't see a lot of um, runners daring pitchers to throw over twice so that the third time they could get a huge lead. Like I didn't see it play out. And maybe it just became such a natural part of the process that there wasn't a lot of attention paid to it. And it happened more often than I'm remembering. But, um, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like as it becomes more ingrained in the game, uh, as, as base runners learn to exploit it more, they will exploit it more. If that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I think that does. I think we could see more steals, even more so next year. And I, I was quickly looking up to see the balk number in baseball this season. We had 208 balks overall. Last year, 122. So, so a definite increase. That's a huge increase, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which only adds to the offense again. It's like, now, you know, another player moving up a base. So just looking at league-wide stolen base totals for the entire league. Last year, it was 2,486. So basically 2,500. This year, it was 3,503. So 3,500. Insane. Now, I remember MLB's own research showed that with these rule changes, they thought um, we would get to an early 2000s level of stolen base output that was what they were comparing it to the year 2000 across the league there were 2900 steals and 2001 it was only slightly more than that so 20 and and, and i thought when mlb said that i'm like i think they might be underestimating and i think it might be on, go beyond early 2000s levels and that seemed to be what happened uh yeah 20 2001, it was 3,100 steals, again, versus 3,500 or thereabouts this year. Crazy. Do you know the last time there was 3,500 steals in a season before this? No. 1987. Yeah. So. Very different era. <laughs> Very different uh, indeed. Steals. There wasn't much power in that era. There was, weren't, wait, what year did you say specifically? 1980? 1987. I do think that was the year that randomly there were a lot of home runs hit, so. I don't know. Maybe it was pretty comparable to this year. All right, let's slide over to the pitching leaders from this past season. Wins, no surprise. Spencer Strider had 20 wins. He was your lone 20-game winner. Zach Gallen came in second here with 17 wins. Last year, we also only had one 20-game winner, and he also came from the Braves. It was Kyle Wright with 21 wins. Last year, uh, the ERA leader was Blake Snell, likely your NL Cy Young winner, finished with a 2.25 ERA. Garrett Cole led the American League side at 263. How about these numbers, Scott? Five qualified starting pitchers with an ERA under three this year. Last year, 19 with an ERA under three. Nearly four times as many pitchers with an ERA under three last year. So it's just... Well, that's just another way to represent the glob, right? That's exactly right. Yep. Can't have a good ERA. Round and round it goes where it stops. No one knows. Yeah. Uh, interest. It, I, I do think it's worth pointing out. You said 1987 was the last time we had 3,500 steals. Yep. 1987, there were four fewer teams. Wow. So they, wow, they really must have ran crazy back then. Yeah. 
Just worth pointing out. You're comparing across eras like that. Yeah, no, that's t- uh, definitely fair. Uh, the whip leader, Garrett Cole, at 0.98. He was the only starting pitcher with, an, with a whip under one. Corbin Burns led the National League at 107. And uh, as I just mentioned, only one starting pitcher under a one whip. We had 10 at 1.10 or less last year. 10 starting pitchers with an, a, a whip below one. 19 at 1.10 or less, which again, just goes to show you, we just don't have that elite level starting pitcher like uh, as many elite level starting pitchers as we did last season. The strikeouts leader was Spencer Strider with 281. Kevin Gossman was second and he led the American League with 237. Um, You know, oddly enough, ERA and whip went up this year. And I think we expected that. Certainly whip. And I, I do think, you know, the fact we had only one under an even one whip this year versus 10 last year. You know, I, I think that shows you that with understandably with Babbitt rising across the league, our standards for what a good whip is are probably going to need to change too. And um, uh, I was noticing this a couple weeks ago when I was pointing out how high Justin Steele's whip was relative to the average Cy Young winner. And of course, now I don't think many people think Justin Steele's going to win the Cy Young. But, you know, he was higher on the leaderboard than I thought when you just sort everybody by whip because we have to look at whip and, you know, what what was a good whip for 20 years is going to be harder to attain now. What I was going to say about the strikeouts, by the way, again, ERA and whip going up, but there were... Also more strikeouts this year. So I thought that was interesting. We had 17 starting pitchers with 200 plus strikeouts this year. And we had just 11 with 200 plus strikeouts last year. So while, you know, ERA and whip kind of took a step back this year, we did have more strikeouts. So, um, and, well, last year was weird in that the strikeout rate went down for the first time in decades. I wonder if it was because it was the first full season after the sticky substance ban. You know, and maybe yeah, people maybe. were kind of figuring things out still. I don't know. It has been speculated. Yeah. But so. it appears that it went back up this year. So uh, that trend is, well, it's not a trend. No, no, it is not. Let's talk about saves real quick. Emmanuel Class A led baseball with 44 saves. He is the first reliever to lead baseball in saves in back-to-back seasons since Jim Johnson in 2012 and 2013. David Bednar and Camilo Duvall led the National League with 39 saves each. And something we spoke about a few times throughout the season, maybe not as much as we should have, but it seemed like there were more reliable bullpens this year, Scott, and it was easier to find saves than in years past. Maybe just you know more yeah. managers going with just one closer. But we had 12 relievers with 30-plus saves this year. There were 10 last year. Uh, and 23 with 20-plus saves this year, only 18 last year. So I think a few more reliable bullpens, which is great for fantasy. Yes, it is. And it, it is curious the way managers kind of went away from that trend of the, you know, the closer committee, the having your best reliever using him in the highest leverage role, regardless of whether it's the ninth, the ninth inning or not. We did see some of that still, but it wasn't as widespread as we had seen it in previous years. And some of the managers who seemed most committed to it 
like, I mean, Kevin Cash had a true closer in, in Tampa Bay. I, I understand Peter Fairbanks' safe total doesn't compare to some of the other closers across the league because he served a couple IL stints. But even when he was down, it was basically Jason Adam was the closer when he was when uh, Pete, Pete Fairbanks was sidelined. So even Kevin Cash went with more traditional bullpen usage. And um, I, I don't know that we want to be too presumptive that that's going to continue heading into next year and, oh, okay, we don't have to invest in saves, particularly in some of those deeper leagues where um, closers tend to go much earlier. Things could change just as, abrupt, abr- just as abruptly and go back the other way, I think. But at least we know that this isn't like something that's going to get more and more pronounced every year and maybe the true closer is going extinct completely. That doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, and I think the goal for me in over the past couple of years has been I'm never going to be the person to draft like one of the first three closers off the the board because typically those guys might go too early for my liking but I try to get one of those top seven or eight you know just like that second tier of guys where you you feel really good about their job security and the skills and I usually like to get at least one of those guys and then you know we'll take a few stabs as the draft goes on but at least trying to get one of those lockdown closers um, in each of my roto or, or category leagues draft, and I don't think that's going to change. I, I think that's uh, that's probably a staple in my strategy moving forward as well. Let's hit some news and notes here. And the big news from Monday, and uh, Chris alluded to this earlier, was that Brandon Woodruff will miss the wild card series with a right shoulder caps uh, capsular injury, and his availability for the rest of the playoffs is currently up in the air. And we know Woodruff is great when he pitches Scott, but he was limited to just 11 starts this season with a similar shoulder injury earlier yeah. in the year. He turns th- 31 years old in February. And now I think this is something we seriously have to take into account when ranking him and projecting him for next season as well. Unfortunately, because he was one of the few reliables, you know, for the time he was healthy, I, I thought Brandon Woodruff was a slam dunk to be a top 10 starting pitcher next year. But the fact this is a continuation of the injury that sidelined him for so long, you know, he seemed to be past it because he came back and was dominating. But now it's it's bad enough that he's probably going to have to sit out the whole postseason for it, which, I don't know, does that mean he has to go under the knife this offseason? Even if he doesn't, um, how confident can we be that he's completely past it next spring? You know, if he doesn't have surgery this offseason, Woodruff, he comes back supposedly healthy next spring. He's probably still going to be drafted among the top 10. But that's that's dangerous. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know I don't know that I want to use my early round capital that way even understanding how hard it is to find reliable pitching. Speaking of dangerous, I don't think he will go as early as uh, someone like Brandon Woodruff, but Max Scherzer has been limited to flat ground work since throwing a light bullpen session last Wednesday. He hasn't had a setback with the strained muscle in his shoulder, but he indicated he did not feel as good as he hoped when throwing off the bump. So perhaps Scherzer was uh, ramping it up a little bit too quickly there. And um, yeah, he's going to kind of slow it down a little bit. Carlos Correa said he's ready to go for the wildcard series against the Blue Jays. He's been out for the past two weeks with a flare up of the plantar fasciitis in his left foot. Royce Lewis, his teammate, who's been out since September 19th, 
with a strained left hamstring and is expected to return for game one of uh, the wildcard series on Tuesday against the Blue Jays. Luisa Rise, who missed the final seven games with a sprained ankle, expects to be ready for game one against the Phillies. Jose Siri, who has a fracture in his hand, and Luke Rayleigh, who is dealing with a cervical strain, both took batting practice on Monday and hope to be on the Rays wildcard roster as well. Some non-playoff news, Tim Anderson admitted he's willing to slide over to second base if that will keep him in the starting lineup for whatever team he winds up on this offseason. Maybe he stays with the White Sox, but my early inkling is that probably not. I think we'll see Tim Anderson in a new uniform for next season. Uh, And we know that Tim Anderson went on the IL early in the year with a knee sprain, and when asked about that, he recently said, quote, the body felt different each day after he returned, which could explain why he was so bad this season. I don't want to make excuses for the guy. He's been pretty damn bad over the past two years now and hurt often, but I know you speculated, Scott, and maybe we could see Tim Anderson with like a slight bounce back next year if he's healthy. Well, I mean, he hit in a half season's time last year. He hit 301 with six homers, 13 steals. I don't know that I call that that bad. Uh, and But it was a down year, and we were drafting him later this year than than years past, right? Yeah, uh, and that's I, I kind of thought we were drafting him too early in previous years. So that was a necessary adjustment. But, you know, a lot of the underlying data for Tim Anderson wasn't that different this year, even though the production was horrendous. And so I wondered if it was a situation where, yeah, he suffered that injury early on. At the time, the stats looked fine. They looked like typical Tim Anderson stats. Tiny sample, granted, because it was in April, but still, he was doing fine. Nobody had any concerns about him. And he suffers that knee injury, comes back, comes back and just is totally inept. And, um, you know, a lot of times we come to find out they were still struggling with that injury and just weren't willing to admit it or didn't want to use it as an excuse or whatever. But they come back the next season after an off season of rest and they're back to normal. And I think given that the, the, the underlying data for Tim Anderson is, you know, not reflecting his decline, given the fact that he's still only 30, I think there's a pretty good chance of that. I'm not saying I'm going to make him uh, like a centerpiece of my draft strategy next year, but as bad as the numbers are, Tim Anderson's probably going to go really late, even in roto leagues that require an extra infielder. And I'll be, I'll be happy to take a shot on him at that point. All right. The Mets have introduced David Stearns as their new president of baseball operations. And surprisingly to some, Buck Showalter announced Sunday that he won't be returning as the Mets manager in 2024. On a similar note, Phil Nevin will not return as the Angels manager in 2024. And it's been a rough couple weeks in the baseball world as, sadly, Tim Wakefield passed away over the weekend. He was 57 years old. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family and friends, and obviously, Scott, like, we'll never forget that knuckleball. I mean, growing up, it was awesome to watch, even though many times it came against my New York Yankees. A uh, really cool moment on Sunday when George Kirby actually threw a knuckleball in his start as a tribute to Tim Wakefield. So, you know, it's we've lost two, uh, two names here in the baseball world the past couple weeks, and it's pretty unfortunate. Yes, it is. All right, let's take our final break when we return. 
We'll quickly quickly run through some other season-long trends, and uh, we'll make some playoff predictions here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome back in. Let's take a look at some season-long trends from the 2023 baseball season. And as mentioned earlier, the uh, the BABIP was up this year nearly seven points compared to last year, which of course means the batting average was up. Uh, league-wide batting average, 248 compared to 243 last year, 244 back in 2021. The home run to fly ball ratio, 12.7%. We had some question marks about that earlier in the season, Scott, where, you know, it was up in March and April compared to last year. And we're like, well, this is troublesome because it's only going to go up as the weather gets warmer. Uh, and, and that's what it did. 12.7%. It was only 11.4% last year, 13.6% back in 2021, which, you know, we were still kind of playing with the juiced ball that year, you know, not as juicy as like, you know, 2017 and 2018 and stuff like that. But uh, this is kind of like splitting the difference. Like we didn't have a dead ball like last year, but we didn't have the juice ball from 2021. So somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I mean, 12.2 was very high for April, but then it was 12.4 in May, 12.1 in June, then 13.2 in July, 13.6 in August, back down to 12.8 in September. So it stayed as consistent month to month home run to fly ball rate as I can remember researching in the past, I haven't done extensive research, but I've gone back several years and I don't remember it being so consistent from month to month, the home run to fly ball rate, which makes me wonder if they did make an adjustment, a seasonal adjustment to the humidor settings. I haven't heard anything reported. I'm not trying to start a conspiracy theory or anything, but last year when we saw those wide swings in production from April, it was just, there was no offense at all. And then it became like normalized. We we got a normal level of offense in the summer, and it was just such a dramatic swing from month to month. And that was the first year where they had the widespread humidor use. Mm-hmm. And we thought, man, are we going to have to bake this in? Like Marcus Simeon's going to hit 122 every April, and we're just going to have to warn everybody not to worry about it. Well, fortunately, that didn't happen this year, but I, want, I, I can't help but wonder if it was by design. Yeah, uh, I think there is a... I guess a reasonable chance that that happened because, yeah, you know, home runs and offensive production was much better early in the season this year, at least compared to uh, 2022. There's no doubt about that. Hitting by month in 2023, we were consistently between a 247 and a 250 batting average. The BABIP was between 295 and 298 for each month of the year. Uh, Scott ran through some of the home run to fly ball rates. It spiked in July and August, which is expected. Again, that's the warmest weather of the season, and and typically the ball does fly out a little bit better uh, during those months of the year, uh, but never really got out of control. You know, 13.2% in July, 13.6% home run to fly ball ratio in August. On the pitching side of things, got 4.33 ERA, the highest we've seen since the shortened season back in 2020. And uh, if you want to look at a full-length season, it's the highest we've seen since 2019, which, again, that was like peak juice ball when, you know, I think the league-wide ERA was like 4.4 or something crazy like that. So uh, the pitching environment, much different this year compared to last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. 2022, the league-wide ERA, 397 with a 127 whip. This year, 433 and 132. And to my knowledge, there's... There aren't really any rule changes coming in the offseason that should affect this. 
So as of now, again, like we can't forecast like juice balls or anything changing in that regard. I think this is closer to what we should expect moving forward. A league-wide pitching landscape similar to what we got this year. Yeah, hopefully things are going to settle down now. Hopefully. After so much discord in a lack of continuity the last few years where we're, we're, we're making guesses as to what these widespread rule changes are going to mean. Or, or sometimes we don't even have the foreknowledge really. And we're caught by surprised by it. We're caught by surprise with it mid season and have to adjust on the fly. It's been very frustrating. Uh, but I think, I think things have settled into what MLB wants them to be more or less. And, um, and so hopefully we can kind of just take 2023 numbers at face value. Now, that doesn't mean it's, it's without its frustrations. Obviously, starting pitching was very frustrating this year. And it was mostly impacted at the high end. You didn't see, even like during the height of the juice ball era, there were some, there were some dominant pitching performances. Um, the BABIP increase seemed to impact the entire pitcher pool more than, than the juice ball era did. And so in the juice ball era, when I think it made sense to load up on aces early because the drop-off was steep afterward and you were giving yourself the clearest advantage you could between the positions by, by targeting starting pitching early, I don't know that that's necessarily true now. I do think part of my issue in the Roto Leagues is that I I just I didn't give myself enough pitching depth like I didn't draft enough pitchers from the glob. So I had to rely on too many sub glob pitchers. Um, but I, I still think most of the pitching pool is the glob. It's gonna it's going to be hard to distinguish, okay, these are really high end pitchers that are going to have um that are really going to set you apart in the pitching categories versus these are some starters who will at times look like aces, but at times get absolutely shelled and their final numbers are, will end up being mid-tier. I think it's going to be pretty hard to distinguish, like to draw exactly where that line is and say, okay, I want a couple of these uh, pitchers that transcend the glob and then I'll build, I'll build the rest of my pitching staff from the glob. I, I think the, the the clearest way to distinguish is going to be strikeouts. But, you know, even among those pitchers that we think of as slam dunk aces, their strikeout rates were down. I, I know that was true for Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns and several others. Spencer Strider gets tons of strikeouts. We know that. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's... I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to tackle it next year, but that's those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about right now with regard with regard to pitching. Yeah, and that was my next question too. And again, I don't expect you to have an answer yet. The season literally just ended, and we 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 have so much time to kind of relax. Let's look back on this past season and and really kind of dissect it and try and figure out what our pitching strategy is going to be moving forward. Uh, but. Some people have already asked me. I don't have an answer yet either. I need to, you know, really sit down and think, all right, do I want to get, you know, two of those top 15, top 20 that we think are aces and then just kind of like live in the glob after that? And that's mm -hmm. me just kind of spitballing. I don't I don't know if that's my actual strategy yet, but. Yeah, I mean, that's, I know I said I haven't figured it out yet, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. 
especially in the deeper rotisserie leagues. But I want sort of the back end of whatever I I think that group of pitchers is that transcends the glob. Unless I get Spencer Strider or Garrett Cole at like, I'm sitting at the spot where it's obvious they need to be taken. I won't pass them up at that spot. But I do think there are, there are you know, a, a couple dozen hitters that are just such, they, they just do so much good for you in so many categories that if you, if you pass them up because, okay, I want to solve the pitching problem early, you'll be playing catch up in the hitting categories the rest of the draft. And I'd rather not do that. I'd rather take my pitchers and, and like get as many good pitchers as I can once that group of hitters is off the table. Um, and, and the only, like Spencer Strider and Garrett Cole are literally the only two I might break from that for. But I'm not going to reach for them. I'm only going to do it if it's the appropriate point to take them. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking so far. So maybe I grab a couple, you know, like my 15th and 20th ranked starting pitcher or something like that. Of course, it depends how deep the league is, exactly where I'm drafting. But that's that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. And then and then hit pitching pretty heavily. Well, it it kind of depends how the pitcher pool plays out too. Because I've said before. There are certain pitchers within the glob, the glob being a group of like 60 pitchers after that first 20 or so. Uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be so selective within the glob because the entire idea behind the glob is these 60 are all pretty unpredictable and there's no reason to elevate one over the other. But I have said I will single out pitchers in the glob who I think have a lot of upside, particularly with regard to missing bats. And so it's just kind of going to depend on is everyone else doing that too so that they end up get being pushed up in the glob so that their number's 20 through 30 basically for everybody, in which case I will have to be selective within the glob. I mean, we kind of have to consider those pitchers not even part of the glob anymore because everybody's decided they're most likely to transcend the glob in the future. And so, you know, part of it is just waiting to see how things play out once, um, once everybody gets into draft gets into drafting. All right. Well, let's wrap up here. Scott, we've got about five minutes left. Do some playoff predictions. Have some fun here. On the American League side of things, the Orioles finished as the number one seed with 101 wins. Good for them, man. Just awesome season. The Astros snuck ahead of the Rangers for the number two seed at 90 and 72. So both the Orioles and Astros will have a bye. As for the wild card round, we'll have the number three seed, Minnesota Twins, hosting the number six Toronto Blue Jays and the number four seed Tampa Bay Rays hosting the Texas Rangers. Reminder that the wild card round is a best two out of three matchup. And I'm putting you on the spot here, Scotty. Who do you have winning each of those uh, wild card matchups? The Blue Jays, Twins, and the Rangers and Rays. I will. I mean, obviously, it could go either way. Best of three series could go either way. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say the Blue Jays upset the Twins. I think so, too. Because, you know, Kevin Gosman might single-handedly win game one for them. Um, but I will say Rays over Rangers. Yeah, we're uh, we're in lockstep so far. I, I think Tampa Bay will uh, get it done as well. I just don't think ra- the Rangers have enough pitching. I-, I know Jordan Montgomery has pitched really well, but between Glass now, Eflin, if they get to a third game, Aaron Savali, yeah. uh, 
you know, the Rays offense has been really good too. So I, I just think they're the more complete team right now. On the National League side of things, your Atlanta Braves finished as the number one seed, the best record in all of baseball, 104 and 58. The Dodgers snagged the number two seed, 162. Both teams have a bye there. For the NL wildcard, the number three Milwaukee Brewers hosting number six Arizona Diamondbacks and the number four uh, Phillies hosting the number five Miami Marlins. Who do you have in those matchups, Scotty? I do want to say real quick, because I didn't know this until a couple days ago. Uh, the brackets don't re- they don't recede. Like R-E-S-E-E-D. They don't recede. So if the six-seeded Diamondbacks upset the fourth-seeded Brewers, uh, the, Bra- the, the the Dodgers are the team playing the six-seeded Diamondbacks because that's the way the bracket lines up. Even though the Braves are the higher-seeded team, they don't get to face the sixth seed. Correct. The Braves are facing the winner of the fourth or fifth seed no matter what happens with a matchup between the third and sixth seed. So I found that interesting. Um, okay, so f- you're asking me Brewers-Diamondbacks? Yep. Fought starting game one. Wow. Yes. That's unfortunate. That's I mean, rough. fought versus Corbin Burns. Like, Brewers better win that game, right? Yeah. I mean, if they don't, I assume Zach Allen's going to go in game two, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it to the Brewers, the higher seeded team. Yeah. What about the Marlins and Phillies? I think the Phillies. I, I, I'm, I'm scared of facing the Phillies because of what happened last year. And I could see them going on a similar run this year with all the offense they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't mind if the Marlins upset them, but I think it's going to be the Phillies. I'm taking the two higher seeded teams in the NL Brewers and Phillies. So the only, pro- only upset I'm predicting in round one is Blue Jays over twins. Yeah. We're in lockstep, Scotty. I got uh, all four of the same teams as you. Coming out of the wild card round. So uh, we shall see what happens there. All right, last question. Who wins the World Series? I'm not going to ask you every single round. So uh, well, I guess we'll just go from there. Who you got, Scotty? Well, my preseason prediction was Braves over Mariners, which cannot happen. Same. I had the same exact prediction as you. Uh, Chris said Braves over Orioles. I don't know who I like from the AL. I think the American League is wide open, Scott. Yeah. I really like... like could I, How boring would Braves versus Astros be again? Like, I'm obviously picking the Braves. They're not going to... They have the best record. They have the biggest run differential, and I want them to win. So I'm obviously going to pick them. But over in the AL, I'm going to say the Rays. Ah, we, they, have, they, we have the same have the, World Series. <laughs> same World Series, huh? Yep. Yeah. I think they're... They're just so customizable that I think they can handle a lot of problems thrown their way. Plus, they did have the biggest run differential in the AL. Rangers had the second biggest, by the way. Even though the Orioles had the best record in the AL, they were tied for third best run differential. And the Rays were a distant first, 195. Um, that's compared to 129 for the Orioles. It Which isn't to say the Orioles couldn't do it. Right. Yeah, the only thing with the Orioles is obviously they're young, but they're kind of playing with house money right now, so maybe they go on a run. Obviously, their whole season has been a run. It's been awesome. But I mean, Kyle Bradish and, and Grayson Rodriguez are looking like a pretty good one, too, at this point. Yeah, yeah, they, they have pitched tremendously, but like, do those same guys show up in the playoffs? So I have some questions about that. The Astros, obviously, they have the experience, but their pitching staff is, is kind of suspect 
Um, I, I mean, I, I could totally see the Astros getting back. I, yeah. I, I think the only, really that Twins-Blue Jays series, I don't see the winner of that series advancing to the World Series, but any other team I think could do it. But so, of course, now one of the Twins are Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one thing with the National League is uh, I do worry about the the pitching staff for the Braves is, are these guys going to be healthy? Are they going to get Morton? Are they going to get freed back? So I worry a little yeah. bit about that. And look, if they run into the Phillies in round two and those guys are not 100%, I mean, yeah, I think anything can happen in that series. So, uh, yeah, frankly, I, I think one of the Phillies or Braves is going to come out of the National League. So um, I feel pretty good about that. And, and yeah, I got, I got Tampa Bay making it as well. I think overall the Braves probably win it all. I don't sleep on the Dodgers. They could do it. Especially yeah. what those young kids were doing in at the end of the season, those young pitchers, Sheehan and yep. Bobby Miller and uh, Ryan Pepio, my favorite of them. <laughs> Brewers without Brandon Woodruff, I think that's yeah. a. That's, if they that's if they had Woodruff, man, it's like that yeah, three that three man of Woodruff, Burns and Peralta, that would have been dangerous. Would have been very dangerous, but yeah. now that they don't, that's going to be tough for them to pull it off. All right, well, we shall see what happens. It starts here on Tuesday, first game at 3 p.m. Eastern time, so make sure to watch it and come hang out. Speaking of tomorrow, we'll be back here again tomorrow evening. Uh, we'll have the Welsh on. He's going to go out and watch Ricky Tiedemann in the Arizona Fall League, so we'll get an update right after his start and, and find out more about that. We'll also talk about lessons learned here uh, from the 2023 season. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. 